This program is brought to you by the University of Southern Queensland. And now on Phoenix Radio, Spaced Out. That's right, you are listening to Spaced Out right here on Phoenix Radio. Back for another week. Welcome back. It's another great day for COVID-19 in Queensland with no new locally acquired cases recorded overnight. However, there was one overseas acquired case detected within hotel quarantine. As well as this, in Queensland this week, a super Pfizer weekend will be launched with all the health hubs open to walk-in vaccinations. Coming up on today's show, we have a heartfelt story of a Goodna op shop going up in flames and what you can do to help the team involved and the charities they support. Of course, Jonty is back again to explain to us what that fireball in the sky was last night, uh, last Friday night. Mandatory vaccinations, should they be a thing? Well, Jack has gone out and he's found out exactly what you all think. And we'll speak to the wonderful Rachel Hannum again about the role that exercise and diet play in our mental health. And we will chat to the wonderful... Career Mail's technology editor, Jen Dudley-Nicholson, about the exciting news released this morning about the new and improved iPhone 13. Jen woke up at 3am, so you did not have to. So she's here to tell us all about it. All of this and much more right here on Phoenix Radio across the next hour. You're listening to phoenixradio.com.au. And now we've got a bit of some sad news. Tragic tragic events unfolded last night as a popular Goodner op shop went up in flames. Goodness, street life was destroyed in the blaze just after 4am on Tuesday morning. Here to chat with us is the Vice President of Street Life uh, at Goodner, uh, Mr. Stephen Purcell. Stephen, are you there? Yes, I am. How are you going? I'm great. How are you going? Yeah, not too bad. (laughs) That's the way. So, Goodness Street Life is a charity run by yourself and a team of wonderful volunteers. Uh, what what, What does this charity provide for the less fortunate? The Goodness Street Life was set up to help the homeless. Um, And, you know, initially when Helen founded it in 2015, um, she set up a a small little shed and was providing some food and and clothing and just some basic support, you know, someone to talk to um, and someone to help them, you know, overcome whatever they're dealing with. But over the years, you know, we sort of start to uncover, you know, the the deeper complex needs that people have. And we've ended up... um, you know, providing housing for people. So we, we do crisis accommodation now and long-term housing and help people get off the streets so we can work with them over a long period of time to help them overcome their challenges. Um, we start doing a lot of mental health support, drug and alcohol counselling, um, crisis and DV intervention. Um, it, it's so much like a, the, the amazing thing about Good and Street Life is that we weren't sort of set up as like a funded charity. We we exist based on the need that sort of exists in the community and we we grow to respond to that need. So if our clients come in and they, they need our help in an area that we've never worked in before, we don't turn them away. Um, we make sure that no one falls through the cracks and yep. that's what Goodness Street Life are. Like we're, we're those people that we're, when the government organisations fail or when the funded services can't help, you know, we're there to make sure that nobody falls through the cracks and everybody yep. you know, gets a chance of having some decent life. Of course. So following the incident, how are you and your team uh, assisting those that you were assisting beforehand? So look, we still have our crisis accommodation. We still have all of our housing. The, the really difficult situation that we're in right now is that 
we've lost our income. So our, yeah. our op shop was our, our primary income source and that's how we funded our services. So if we, we lose the op shop, um, we lose the money that funds everything that we do and we could find ourselves being closed down you know, and we've got, you know, a, a motel where we, you know, have used for crisis accommodation with eight rooms, currently have 12 people there. I've got 13 houses in the community that I sublease out to people, um, families and, uh, you know, a, a different groups of people that we've put together and subleased the houses for to keep them off the street, get them support, you know, people with some mental health issues or people unable to take a private lease in the name for, for a number of complex reasons. Mm. My fear is, is if we, you know, we lose our op shop and we don't get ourselves back up and running, then we can't fund all the support. And we've got about 80, 85 people currently housed with Goodness Street Life that depend on us every day. Yep, of course. So uh, That's scary. So, yeah, it is very, isn't it? So what can we as the public do to help you guys and those affected by this incident? Um, so, look, you know, at the moment we're, we're desperately trying to secure a new, new premise for our op yep. shop um, so we can raise some money. Um, we're, we're putting the call out for some financial assistance to help us um, do that. So obviously getting into a new shop and doing it quickly in crisis is, is expensive. Mm. We need money for security deposit to go straight in. Um, and we're not going to get to see any resolution from the, the previous building for a couple of months. So we're, we're trying to raise $20,000 straight off the bat just to help us secure our premises um, yep. so we can start trading and, and start bringing the income again. Um, and then once obviously we set up the op shop, we're going to need some donations. So if your people can't, um, you know, donate financially, they might have some clothing uh, or some, you know, uh, furniture or belongings that um, that are in good condition that we could either sell in the op shop or use to furnish one of our houses or to to give to any of our clients who are on the street. Um, like that, those sort of things. That's a core part of what we do. Um, we're not like some of the bigger bigger op shops, you know, mm. where we we genuinely give a lot of the stuff that we get um, directly to people in need. Yep. Um, so look, you know that and that need, you know, continues even though the op shop's down. We we're still got some clothes and we still got things. So we're still helping people. Um, but for us to to keep doing it long term, we're sort of putting the call out now to say if you can help now, then now is our time of need. <laughs> of course. So thank you very much, Stephen, for coming in and chatting to us. No, thank you. No worries. And all the best for this future situation. It's, I'm very sorry to hear what's happened. No, no, that's right. We're going to get through. This is what we do. We're, we work best in a crisis. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Steve. Um, that no has been Stephen Purcell from Goodness Street Life talking to us about the tragic incident. This is Psycho on phoenixradio.com.au. Stick around right after we've got our space expert, John T. Horner, talking about a mysterious fireball in the sky last Friday. This is Spaced Out on Phoenix Radio. You're listening to phoenixradio.com.au, a very, very interesting topic on this week's edition of Into the Universe with Chanty Horner. That's right. It's time for another episode of Into the Universe with our amazing expert, Jonty Horner. How are you going, Jonty? Uh, not too bad. How about you? I'm fantastic. Good to hear from you again. Oh, it's great. It's, I've had a wonderful, relaxing weekend. I got to swim with dolphins and mantas over the weekend, so everything oh, is wow. good. Oh, wow. Awesome. So, 
We saw last Friday night, you mentioned to us, that there was a fireball across the sky. So what what was it? <laughs> this was really widely spotted. I mean, I was eating dinner on the island on the reef that I was on, and so I missed it because I was getting ready to give an outreach talk, actually, all about rocks mm-hmm. from space. So <laughs> really bizarre timing. <laughs> and people came in and said, oh, we've just seen this bright fireball in the sky. So people saw it there. They saw it everywhere, all the way up to Townsville, down to the Queensland, New South Wales border and beyond. Wow. And it was very slow moving compared to the normal fireballs you see in the sky and bits were flaking off really twinkly, really sparkly. Yep. And essentially what you were seeing was one of the vermin of the skies, as astronomers have dubbed them, <laughs> the Starlink satellites launched by Elon Musk. Right. One of them went wrong a couple of weeks ago, so this was it being re-entered, wow. being brought back into the Earth's atmosphere to burn up harmlessly, tens of kilometres up. It's essentially the safest way to dispose of bits of rubbish floating around in space, essentially. Cool, because that was my that was going to be my next question. Was it risky, and does it pose any threats to the environment or us? <laughs> it doesn't really. I mean, we have bits of natural space junk burning up in the Earth's atmosphere all the time, and that happens tens of kilometres above our heads. You need something really substantial to make it to the ground. Mm. And with the stuff we've put up there, it's coming in slower, and it's coming in at a much shallower angle. It's almost skimming the atmosphere as it comes in, which means it's not coming in quickly enough to make it to the ground. It will fragment, disintegrate, and entirely be destroyed on its way in while it's still tens of kilometres high. What's startling with this, especially given how incredible a job SpaceX are doing of launching things, getting really good at putting things up into space, reusing their boosters, they're not so good at controlling them coming back in. So (laughs) there was a bit of attention to this, and the only real coverage it got was actually in the UK, because there was an announcement put out saying, this is going to re-enter on Friday, at some point in this two-hour window, and the UK press picked up on it and said, oh, it could re-enter over the UK. Wow. So there's the articles you see. Yeah. But in actuality, it entered a little bit early. So instead of being over the UK, it was over Australia. You couldn't get more poles apart than that. Yeah, I uh, reckon. Um, Lucky us, the, though, hey? Uh, oh, absolutely. It's great to get a natural firework display like that. <laughs> but with this two-hour window that they gave, that's more than one full orbit of the satellite around the Earth. So that means it was one and a half laps of the Earth uncertainty in where it would come in. And I think that's something they're going to have to work on improving, you know, to really get people's respect going forward and admiration for what they're doing. Yeah, of course. So is this something that we can expect more of in the future? Like, is it likely that we're going to see more sparkly things flying across the sky? Certainly. And I mean, in the seven and a bit years that I've been up in this part of the world, the incidence of this happening has actually already risen in southeast Queensland. It's happening more and more. And it's only going to become more common because Elon Musk is intending to put 42,000 of these things in low Earth orbit, which is catastrophically problematic from a cultural heritage point of view and an astronomy Mm. point of view because they're going to spoil the night sky. But it does mean that some people will be able to get better internet out in the countryside. There's pros and cons there. But he's not the only person looking at putting mega constellations up there. He's got competitors who are also going to be putting 10,000 plus satellites up there. So we're going to have tens of thousands of satellites instead of just a few thousand. The number's gone up by more than a factor of 10, which means the number coming back to Earth will go up by more than a factor of 10 as well. And that means these kind of re-entries will become more commonplace. It'll still be awesome to see them, and it will still be an unusual eye-catching event, but it is going to become more common as the years go by. Yeah, for sure. So how do people find out about this stuff uh, happening? Is it predicted, or is it something that you kind of just have to be looking up at the sky and lucky enough to do it at the right time? In the main you've just got to be lucky enough at the right time. There are websites where they track all the space debris up there from working satellites to broken satellites. 
And re-entry alerts do tend to get issued sometimes, but they're usually very, very niche. Mm. You've got to find a really specific website that's not easy to navigate. It's a very you know, small, enthusiast community that monitor this. And the predictions are never all that accurate unless it's something coming in under power, you know, like the Space Shuttle used to do, or like the re-entry when they're bringing astronauts back from the space station. That's kind of powered flight guided. They know where it's going to be and they know when. If it's something coming in just naturally spiralling back to Earth after its life is finished, that's actually surprisingly hard to work out when it's going to happen. Mm. And the reason for that is what's making it spiral inwards and fall down is the atmosphere. The atmosphere doesn't suddenly just stop in space. It gets thinner and thinner the further you go from Earth, but it's essentially still there. Even 10,000 kilometres from the surface of the Earth, there's still a tenuous bit of atmosphere. Yep. Now, you're moving through that, you're feeling a headwind and that's slowing you down, making you spiral in. And the more you spiral in, the thicker the atmosphere, the quicker that happens. So you get this runaway plummeting to ground, essentially. But the problem is that the Earth's atmosphere isn't fixed. It kind of breathes. It expands and contracts a bit like our lungs do when we're breathing. So sometimes the atmosphere is more puffed up. Sometimes it's more condensed. And those variations can happen on timescales of minutes and hours in response to what's happening elsewhere in space, yep. which means these satellites feel varying wind resistance. So it's a bit like being in a windy room, trying to throw a paper aeroplane and predicting <laughs> where it's going to land when wind's blowing in through the window, it's really yeah. challenging. Yeah, of course. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time again, Jonty. It's always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And it's my pleasure to have you on the show each week. Next week, Jack will be here again to chat to you about whatever's interesting next week. <laughs> awesome. Looking forward to it. Awesome. Me too. Awesome. Stay tuned right here on Phoenix Radio. Coming up just after this, Jack has gone out into the field to see what you all think about employers' power to mandate vaccinations. You're listening to phoenixradio.com.au. This is Patrick with Spaced Out. And it's time to go into the public for our weekly opinion. So over the last few weeks, the most important number in Australia has gone from the coronavirus cases to now being the percentage of people with the jab. Vaccines have been marked as the key to life uh, returning to normal. But should businesses be able to force their employees to get it? We wanted to know what you thought, so we sent Spaced Out producer Jack Lewis right out into the wild to find out exactly what you thought. And here he is. It's been the hottest topic all year, the vaccine. They say it's going to get us out. I got mine on Monday. But there's a number of people that don't want to get it. Should their employer be able to force them to get it and risk losing their job if they choose not to? Will I hit the streets to ask you? How do you feel about the idea of an employer being able to force you to get the vax? Um, well, I'm pro-science, so yes, let's, let's all get vaccinated to protect us all. Well, it's not the employer's guys to force anything down anyone. It should be their choice. But in the end, if they're posing a health risk to the people in the workspace, then they should not be allowed to work. Well, I see it as one way or another. We're not getting out without it, so... Better just bite the bullet and get it done. You're a happy family. What do you think? What are your thoughts on the idea of an employer forcing you to get the vaccine? It sounds like a good idea, but I'm not sure about the legality of it. Um, I think everyone should have a choice. Um, yeah, I believe... I mean, I think that in um, positions like healthcare... It's probably the best if you do get it, um, but I don't think the employer should have like should force you to get it. Um, it depends on what for what reason. 
if it's um, for like if you're working with a lot of people then I guess it should be done but it depends if you're just working on your own or something then it's I don't think there should be force. Um, I think if it's necessary to the workforce you're in if you're in educational nursing then that makes sense if it's something that doesn't really require it then I don't think so. Well there you have it Pat the people speak again. Some differing views there but importantly they were all for the vaccine. Back to you in the studio. Awesome. Thanks, Jack. Good to hear from you again. And very some, some very interesting points made there. I got my second dose of the Pfizer jab on last Friday, I believe it was. So I'm fully vaccinated. Uh, I'm all for it. Not sure how I feel about mandatory vaccinations, but it's interesting to see what everyone else thinks. Anyway, stick around because just after Senorita by Sean, Man- Sean Mendez and Camilla Cabello, we're talking to our very own mental health expert, Rachel Hannum, on the importance of diet and exercise. Stick around right here. You're listening to Phoenix Radio. This is Spaced Out. You're listening to phoenixradio.com.au. This is Spaced Out. You're here with Patrick. How are we all? We're back here again with our wonderful psychologist, Dr. Rachel Hannum from North Brisbane Psychologist. How are we? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I am wonderful as always. Good to be in the studio. Mm. So this week's topic is what role does exercise and diet play within our mental health? And I'm sure it's a big one. It does. Well, because you can't ignore your body and your health and expect to feel good in your mind. That just doesn't make sense, right? Um, You know, I think most of us have got at least some experience of noticing how our mental health is affected by lack of sleep, lack of exercise um, and eating too much junk food. Um, But, I mean, there are some specifics that if people are interested, they can be, you know, really um, specific and mindful about. One of the things we know is that certain minerals play a big role in our mood and in, uh, particularly in the development or prevention of depression. Um, and these include calcium, iron, magnesium and zinc, as well as B vitamins. So I know that um, a lot of my clients will take supplements and various, uh, you know, and manage their diet as a way of managing their mental health. And it, it's not a magic bullet, but it definitely supports whatever other lifestyle and cognitive changes we are making in order to look after our mental health. Yep, that's awesome. So I've noticed in the past with myself, Mm -hmm. um, definitely going to gym has been something that's brought my mental health up great. I feel great after going to the gym, exercising. It's always talked about. Yes. Um, But again, I think we spoke, last time I spoke to you, we talked about accountability as well. Mm. So what can we do to make sure we do stick to these routines? Because convenience comes into it with a big one and then we get lazy and we fall off our routine. Yeah, me too. And exercise is huge in mental health. Uh, And if anyone's struggling with depression, they know how hard it is to get, you know, get out there and get active, knowing that would help their depression. But then, you know, that vicious cycle of, you know, doing the very thing that makes their depression worse. So my heart goes out to those people. First of all, stop judging yourself. Forgive yourself. It is hard to find the motivation and keep the willpower going. And in fact, it's so hard that I definitely... um, you know, don't expect anyone to be able to do it all by themselves. For myself, I got a personal trainer a number of years ago because, you know, I knew that she was expecting me to show up. I was paying for it anyway. So it it really forced me um, out of bed. Um, but I don't see her anymore. And I know that's unaffordable for a lot of people, especially students. So um, organizing to exercise with a friend, having exercise buddies, you know, if you don't put it out to all, send a big text message or email out to all your friends and say, I want an exercise buddy, who's up for it? And if you, and then there's Facebook groups for walking groups and running groups. And, 
you know, there's free ways to get exercise. You don't have to have the $1,000 for a gym membership. But if other people are expecting you or if you have got some money and you've paid for it, then you're much more likely to keep yourself on track. Yes, 100%. And the same goes for diet? Same goes for diet. I mean, it's harder, isn't it? You can get diet coaches and people do programs and Noom and Jenny Craig and Light and Easy. But it's, you know, for me, what, what everybody's different. So experiment. But for me, I need to see how food makes me feel. I've personally given up sugar, mainly for my mental health um, and digestive health and dental health because, you know, <laughs> sugar gives you <laughs> cavities. Um, and giving up sugar and most flour has actually stabilized my mood and whenever I recommend it to clients and they actually do it, after about a month they report that uh, a low-sugar diet and a lower-carb diet actually supports their mental health because they're not having the mood swings associated with leptin and insulin going up and down all day. It's stabilising to their mood. Um, you know, it's not the be-all and end-all, but when you get cut out sugar, you end up eating more fruit and vegetables and healthier greens and meats and things like that. So... Um, I would say experiment with what makes you feel good because we've all eaten a bag of chips, <laughs> corn <laughs> chips. Uh, I've never done that. Um, and feel like crap, right? So, yeah, I'd say experiment with how you feel after you eat and then decide you want to feel good and eat the things that make you feel good. And I think it surprised me as well. When you start to cut out sugar and artificial sweeteners, you start to realize how sweet and delicious fruit and veggies exactly, are. Exactly, yeah. And then you feel great because it tastes good and it makes you feel good. Totally. Things so it tastes better. So for someone who is looking to upgrade their diet and feel a bit better that way, um, because it is something that's quite easily achieved, um, where can they get information on this or where can they start? Because um, I know it can be a lot, uh, quite overwhelming. You know, you say, oh, I want to start a diet. I want to start eating healthier. But eating healthier could mean getting a salad from Macca's or mm. some fruit and veg from And Woolies. if you're going to go to Macca's, you know, get that wrap or that salad if, yep. you, know, if you can. I, like every, there's so much out there. It's really hard to answer that question. For myself and my clients, I have found a low-carb diet to be good for mental health. And because low carb cuts out, you know, the enormous amounts of bread and pasta and chips and sugary foods that we eat. Um, and then you have to substitute for, you know, the chicken and the eggs and the greens and the avocados and the bananas and those sort of things. So um, there's lots of Facebook groups if you want to get support. Um, you know, Facebook's my platform, but I'm sure all the other platforms use, uh, offer group support. Um, there's meetup groups around ways of eating, keto, paleo, low carb. Um, so definitely being part of an online or real group or even just finding a friend who wants to do this with you and holding each other accountable. But don't make it a deprivation thing where you feel so, um, yeah, deprived. Make it a fun thing. Make it, you know, focus on the positives and what you're gaining from changing your ways of eating. Yep, 100%. And they always say, or well, I've always heard, the best diet is one that you can stick to. Yes, 100%. That's and right. just quickly before we go, I do want to quickly ask about cheat days. So it's a topic of a bit of controversy, whether you're trying to build muscle, lose fat, or even the mental health side of it. How important are cheat days, whether we should cut them out or maybe do include one or not? Or even cheat meals? Uh, yeah, I, I only know for myself. Yeah. I have cheat moments. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it was my daughter's birthday last week. So, you know, I had a bit of cake. Um, I try to make low sugar, low carb sort of desserts and treats for myself so I don't feel deprived. But there's going to be moments, meal situations, 
Yeah, and I just I, before I eat the thing, <laughs> I, I just make a commitment to myself that I'm just going to eat the smallest amount that I need to feel like I'm enjoying it and I'm satisfied. I'm not going to do it to comfort myself or mung out. You know, I'm just yeah. wanting to enjoy it, and then I reset that night or the next day. Um, yeah, I, we we don't want to be puritanical about this, <laughs> but we do want to kind of keep tracking our own feelings and our own behaviour and how our body feels. And so cheat, cheating moments to me can actually reinforce, oh, yeah, I don't really feel great when I eat pizza. You know, it was kind of yummy, yep. but now I feel a Serves bit Serves as a bit of a reminder, blah, doesn't it? And it reminds <laughs> you, yeah. Awesome. Well, that is wonderful to hear. Thank you so much again, Rachel, for coming in and speaking to us on this. It's been really insightful. Thank you for having me. And we will be back again with Dr. Rachel Hannum next week. So stay tuned for that right here on Spaced Out on phoenixradio.com.au. You're listening to phoenixradio.com.au. And this next segment is for the Apple product consumers and lovers of everything iPhone. Early this morning, Apple held their launch event in California and here to spill the beans and enlighten us is Jen Dudley-Nicholson, an award-winning gadget geek and technology journalist. How are you going, Jen? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I am fantastic. So first and foremost, was it worth waking up at 3 a.m. for this launch event? Oh, look, I think you really had to be dedicated to it. Um, but, you know, they, America insists on being on a different time schedule <laughs> to us. So th- these are the choices that we have. Um, a 3 a.m. start, however, it's a, it's a big call. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I would not have been able to do it. Um, so what was actually announced for the brand new iPhone? Because that is at the forefront of everyone's minds right now, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. I think that you know a lot of people, whether they've, they've kind of got a model from three years ago, I've been talking to a few people like that, or you know whether they've smashed their phone recently, which is always unfortunate, <laughs> um, have, have been keen to find out. So um, in terms of iPhones, we've seen probably not like a, a, a massive kind of update, but, but definitely an important update for people who are looking to upgrade. So lots of changes to the cameras. There's been a, a quite a few interesting things that happened over the past couple of years with kind of making sure that the cameras uh, in, in the back of these phones, there's multiple options that they can do extra things. And we saw that trend kind of continue again last night or this morning or whenever it was hours ago um, <laughs> and it's, it's hard to keep track of time anymore oh, um, sure. so we're, we're seeing larger sensors um it comes down to even the smaller models this time and there's a really interesting feature that would be good if you're kind of filming a soap opera at home um because basically it, when you you film you shoot video it will allow you to switch between spaces or it will do it for you automatically and make sure that everyone who needs to be in focus is and if they're not you can actually change that after the fact so that was, that was something different that we, we yeah. haven't necessarily seen before in phones. We might see some home video makers coming through with this one, hey? <laughs> I, I really like that idea. And um, if we could just teach everybody to film in landscape, that would be great too. <laughs> yeah, that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? So that's the next question. Is it worth upgrading to the new iPhone? I myself have an iPhone 11 Pro. So for someone like me, would it be worth upgrading to this or would it be more worth waiting another few years and upgrading to a, another new model later down the track? It's always really hard uh, to say. I mean, one of the, the things about Apple to keep in mind when you're, you're considering upgrading is that they hold their value really well. Mm. So potentially if you were to sell that iPhone 11, it would still be worth quite a lot of money, which is nice because other brands, uh, the, the cost kind of dissipates. Um, however, it's a couple of years. I mean, the battery starts to, to sort of age a little bit as well. So potentially, however, there's always rumours and there's already rumours the next one's going to be even better. They might be 
getting rid of the cord. They might be adding a fingerprint scanner to get around that kind of mask life problem where you look at your phone and it doesn't mm. recognize you anymore because you've got something strapped to the front of your head. Um, so it's really up to the individual. It's, it's so subjective. Um, but there, there are some nice additions to this one. And I was surprised that the, the, it didn't increase in price hugely, although there is a model that's quite expensive this year as well. Yeah, of course. They always like to bump that price up, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> it, it always creeps up, although I, I am surprised that it didn't creep up more this year, given that there's been a lot of component shortages. Yeah, for sure. Now, like you were just saying, it seems like it's never enough for us. Like we're already talking and gossiping about the iPhone 14, if they want to call it that. So what should we or what could we expect from that? Yeah, um, well, one of the a few of the things that didn't come through that, that were kind of rumoured this year were, were stuff around um, not just replacing the lightning charger at the bottom because obviously with iPads you can now charge them with USB-C and the, the plan was we'd be moving to this world where you just need one charger to rule them all and you know, across the different brands of gadgets, which would have been nice. Um, but Apple has been rumoured for a while to be thinking about removing the need for chargers altogether so that you would just have a wireless charger and, and that's how you would charge your phone. But we didn't see that this time. Um, the fingerprint scanner um, inside the, the actual screen, which we've seen on some Android models as well, um, and even potentially I saw some stuff around using low Earth orbit satellites to deliver messages when you're out of mobile coverage range. And that could be particularly useful, obviously, you know, when you're um, you're in an emergency, for example, and you really have to send a message. Um, so we didn't see that, unfortunately, but maybe that's still on the cards for next time. Awesome. You make, you're making me consider whether I upgrade and whether I kind of hold out again. It's going to be a long week of thinking, I think. <laughs> <laughs> You've got until Friday when pre-orders open and um, much longer after that. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure the lineups will be massive, so... <laughs> I better get to thinking. Thank you so much for chatting to us this afternoon, Jen. I appreciate it. Pleasure. Hope I helped. <laughs> you definitely did, and hopefully you helped some of the listeners as well decide whether they'd even switch from Android, maybe. Mm. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Jen. We'll chat to you another time. Thank you. You're listening to no Phoenix. No worries. Thank you. You're listening to phoenixradio.com.au. That will save your tears by the weekend. And Ariana Grande taking us out to the end of the show, unfortunately. But that's okay. Tune again. Tune in again next week. I'll be handing it over to Jack. Some more interesting stories. More interesting stories from space. And of course, our mental health segment will be taking place again next week. Thank you to all the guests for ch- coming in and chatting to us. And thanks for tuning in. Hopefully, you enjoy it. And we'll see you all again next week on Spaced Out right here on Phoenix Radio.